On the evening of January 28, 2016, Janice Taylor went to the Safety Bay a Bowling Club. She would do this every week in Perth, Australia for her regular get-together with friends. But she had no idea that just a few short hours later, she would be fighting for her life. She was returning to her car around 10 p.m. when she felt a sharp stabbing sensation on the side of her left foot. She thought it was a bee sting at first, and she took a bottle of water and poured it over it and felt a little bit better, got in her car, and drove home. But by the time she arrived home, her head felt like it was spinning. She couldn't move her legs. Fortunately, she called a friend just in time because when they arrived, she was face down, collapsed right there on the road. She was rushed to Rockingham General Hospital where doctors initially thought she'd suffered a heart attack. It wasn't until seven hours later when she started bleeding profusely from her face and her face and neck began to turn black and blue that doctors thought maybe she's been bitten by one of the deadliest snakes in the world, the Australian brown snake. They administered the correct antivenom just in time and she barely survived. And without getting that antivenom in time for such a snake bite as the brown snake's bite, Janice would have almost no chance of survival. So aren't you glad you don't live in Australia? There's a lot more toxic things over there as well. But the Bible tells us that there is a sin that's even more toxic than a poisonous snake bite. It's a sin that's deadly to our faith. It's a poison that only has one antidote, and it's the sin of unbelief. Now, we're in this series we're calling Kryptonite, Woodland Church, because we all have these weaknesses toward things that can be really devastating in our lives. And it's really based on the seven deadly sins from church history. Now, in the Middle Ages, uh, some of the leaders in the church chose these seven sins and really focused in on these certain seven sins. And of course, the Bible says these seven sins are really deadly and destructive in our lives. Uh, But I wanna go off the page a little bit, and I wanna talk about a sin that's not in the seven deadly sins, but the Bible says it's one of the most poisonous to our purpose in life. It's the most deadly to our destiny, this sin of unbelief. And I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews because in this passage we're gonna read today, it talks about the children of Israel in the Old Testament and how the sin of unbelief kept them from their destiny, kept them from really finding the joy and trusting God who loved them so much. And so would you stand in honor of God's word and I wanna welcome all of you who are worshiping with us right here in the woodlands. It's so great to see your smiling faces and I can't see your smiling faces at Atascacita or North Point, but I know you're there and I'm so excited about that. And also we wanna welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online or through our broadcast ministry, wherever you are, as long as you're connected, that's what it's all about. And I know we have thousands connected right now all over the world, it's amazing. Countries all on the other side of the world, people connecting, and I'm sorry for those of you who are connecting with us in Australia. Didn't mean anything by it, you know? You guys are doing great over there. Um, It's great to know that we're one church, though. One church who turns to the Word of God to change our lives. I can't change a life, but God's Word can change all of our lives. And so just follow along with me here. The Holy Spirit warns us to listen to Him to be careful to hear his voice today 
and not let our hearts become set against him as the people of Israel did. They steeled themselves against his love and complained against him in the desert while he was testing them. But God was patient with them 40 years. Though they tried his patience sorely, he kept right on doing his miracles for them to see. But God says, I was very angry with them for their hearts were always looking somewhere else instead of up to me and they never found the paths I wanted them to follow. Then God, full of his anger against them, bound himself with an oath that he would never let them come to his place of rest. Beware then of your own hearts, dear brothers, lest you find that they too are evil and unbelieving and are leading you away from the living God. For you see, the sin of unbelief is so devastating because it leads you away from the living God who loves you so much and knows what's best for you. So let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you so much that you love us and you care about us so deeply. And the times that you tell us not to do something or you give us a warning, it's not to make us miserable, it's because you love us and you care about us so much and you know how we work best and you don't want us to experience the devastation that could be down that road. And you want us to reach our destiny and become all that you've called us to be. So I pray today that you'd help us, Lord, overcome the sin of unbelief. We all struggle with it at times, Lord, and we don't always realize how devastating it is, but today show us that, Lord, and then help us overcome it with your power. And I pray for those, Lord, who are going through such difficulties today that it just seems like you're not there, that you're nowhere to be found. Just assure them today, Lord, that you're closer than you've ever been and you're gonna see them through. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. What is the sin of unbelief? That's what I want us to look at first. What is the sin of unbelief? Because there's a lot of misconceptions about it. The sin of unbelief is not having sincere doubts and questions. In fact, you can't have faith without a certain degree of doubt. It's impossible to have faith unless there's an element of doubt. And so you have to work through your questions and your doubts to arrive at a strong faith. So I would say, without doubts, without questions, and without really working through them, you can't have a strong faith. So the sin of unbelief is not having sincere doubts and having questions to God and, and not understanding something and, and having some really deep, tough questions that's just part of arriving at a strong faith. Otherwise, you just have a superficial faith. So what is the sin of unbelief? Well, let me give you a definition that I think really describes the sin of unbelief. It's looking to anyone or anything other than God to meet your deepest needs. It's when I start looking to anything or anyone other than God to meet my deepest needs, those needs for longing and belonging and fulfillment, and purpose, and meaning that can only be met by the God who made you. He made you with this hole in your heart that can only be filled by him. He wants to meet our deepest needs, but so many times we look to another human being, and it puts too much pressure on them. Husbands and wives all the time struggle with looking to each other to meet those deepest needs that only God can meet, and it causes all kinds of problems, but when a husband and a wife look to the Lord to meet their deepest needs, then God frees them up to meet each other's needs that they can meet. It's an amazing thing how God works 
But the sin of unbelief is really just looking to anyone or anything other than God to meet your deepest needs. God says this about the children of Israel when they were trying to go to the promised land. In Hebrews 3.10, their hearts were always looking somewhere else instead of up to me. They kept looking to something else or someone else to bring them fulfillment other than God. It was the sin of unbelief. They kept looking to things that they thought would satisfy, but they never did. It just left them even more empty. What are the symptoms of unbelief? Because this is really important for us to understand the symptoms that start coming out of our lives that we need to attach to the sin of unbelief. Because until you realize the symptoms, you don't really know how to treat what's going on in your life. And so the first symptom that always shows up when I'm starting to give in to unbelief, when I'm starting to let the poison of unbelief seep into my life is complaining. That's the first sign. When I start complaining and grumbling and griping about my situation and the circumstances in my life and the difficulties and my problems, when I grumble, gripe, and complain, that's a sure symptom that I've let the poison of unbelief come into my life. It says in Hebrews 3.8, they steeled themselves against his love and complained against him in the desert. They complained against Moses, who God appointed as their leader, so really they were mad at God. They were complaining about God, complaining against God. Basically, the sin of unbelief is slap, a slap in God's face. It's slapping God in the face because basically the sin of unbelief says, God, you're doing a sorry job. I don't like what you're doing. I think I could do a better job. I mean, I don't like what you're doing here, God. You don't understand what's best for me, but I know what's best for me. Whenever we gripe and complain and grumble against our circumstances, who are we really mad at? We're mad at God because he's the one that allowed them. And so we're, we're mad at God and, and we grumble and gripe against him and it's just a symptom of unbelief. But I want you to notice it says they complained against him, not complained to him. Did you know that God loves it when we complain to him? It's a whole different thing. You know, the, the psalmist said, I bring my complaint before you, God, and this stinks. I hate this. I don't understand why you're allowing it, but I know you're God and you know what's best for me, but it sure doesn't feel like it right now. I'm desperate, Lord. I, God loves it when you bring your complaint to him, when you pour out your heart to him and you tell him honestly how you feel. He knows it anyway. God's big enough to handle it. He's not gonna strike you with a bolt of lightning. He, he knows how you feel. But they griped and complained against God. They didn't bring it to God and pour their hearts out to God. God loves it when we bring our anger and our hurt and our grief and everything. God, I don't like this. I don't get this. Why would you allow this in my life? This makes no sense to me. But God, I know that you're God and I'm not. Give me the strength to trust you through this. I know you're gonna see me through, but I don't like it. I don't get it. And just pour out your heart to God. Many of the Psalms, that's all it is, is David just complaining to God. And God said David was a man after his own heart because God wants you to bring it all to him and be authentic, to be real with God. Instead of being fake and then griping and grumbling and complaining about your circumstances, about the people in your life, 
the things you're going through. But that's what the people of Israel did. They grumbled against God. But then there's another symptom that you've got to look for, and it's a sure sign that unbelief has seeped into your life, and that's ingratitude. Hebrews 3, 9 says, but God was patient with them 40 years, though they tried his patience sorely. He kept right on doing his mighty miracles for them to see. You see, they would get into a problem. They would complain against God and against Moses, and then God, in his mercy, would work a miracle, deliver them, and then they go, oh, that's great, and then the next time they got into a problem, they would gripe and grumble and complain, and they would forget they suffered from spiritual amnesia. They would forget the miracles of God in the past, and they would act like God didn't exist, and there are a lot of Christ followers that are practical atheists. You know, we believe in God, and We've trusted Christ to forgive us of our sins and give us heaven one day, but yet we live like God doesn't exist. We get into a problem and a difficulty. Instead of going to him with it and going, God, you worked it out last time. I need you to do it again. You're gonna do it again. I trust you, God. We have spiritual amnesia. We forget all about God and his goodness and his mercy and his grace and it's ingratitude. We're not grateful for all that God has done for us. We just take it for granted. And my friend Stephen Furtick, when he preached here at Woodland Church a while back, told about how he grew up in this really small town in North Carolina. And as a kid, he got a dream job. He was hired at one of the local fireworks stands to sell fireworks. He, he said, I know I wasn't at the minimum age to work, but they let me do that. And it was the greatest thing ever. I love fireworks. What kid doesn't? And I got them for free. And then they would pay me in cash at the end of every day. It was amazing. And it was a lot for a kid. And he said, I was just in awe of this. So cool. But then he said, after several years of, of doing this around the 4th of July, then he became so used to it that he wasn't that excited about it anymore, especially when all these people would come in and say, hey, what does that one do right there? And he would say, well, it just shoots up into the air and then it blows up. Well, what about that one over there? That one looks really cool. What does it do? It just shoots up in the air and blows up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I want one of those. What does that one over there do? Shoots up in the air, but not very high, and then blows up. Give me one of those. That's awesome. What does that one do? Well, it shoots up in the air, maybe a little higher than that other, and it blows up. Give me one of those. He said after a while, you know, he just, he became so familiar with it, and he didn't think anything of it anymore. And then I remember he looked right at us and he said, Woodland Church, don't ever get used to the fireworks of God through Woodland Church. Don't ever get used to the fireworks of life change. He says, some of you are so used to the fireworks and the miracles of God and all that God is doing week in and week out that you take it for granted. Don't ever do that. So many things that we experience in our lives that God brings our way and blesses us with, we just take it for granted and we move on. We don't even stop to thank him, to appreciate it. How amazing it is to experience the fireworks of God in our life on a continual basis. The sin of ingratitude. But then the third thing is disobedience. That's a sure symptom that unbelief has really taken hold it's when you think you know better than God and you're not really trusting him and you're looking to yourself or someone else or something else and you're going down the wrong path and it leads you 
into a place of devastation in your relationships. It devastates your soul in disobedience. Hebrews 3.10 says, they never found the paths I wanted them to follow. How sad. God had these paths laid out for them that would have brought fulfillment and purpose and led them right to the promised land, but they never found the path that God had for them. How sad. It's one of the most tragic verses in God's word. Don't let it be said of your life that you never found the path, that good path that God laid out for you because you just kept choosing other paths that you thought was best. God says, no matter how many paths you've gone down that have always left you empty, it's time today to put your foot on the path that I have for you. But let's look at the consequence of the poison of unbelief because they are severe. And when I realize that, then I don't really, can't really get away with thinking unbelief is no big deal. Well, yeah, you know, it's not one of the biggies, you know, unbelief. Sure, I have some unbelief, but it's not one of the big sins. Sometimes I look to other things other than you, God, but it's not that big a deal, is it? It's huge. In fact, it keeps you from your destiny. It keeps you from your destiny. In Hebrews 3.18, it says, he, God, swore an oath they could never go into the land that, it, that he had promised his people. A whole generation of Israelites died in the desert because of the sin of unbelief until God could raise up a new faith-filled generation who could go into the promised land. And they were ready. Their character was built in faith and their faith was built so that they could take the promised land. But then secondly, it keeps you from experiencing the joy of trusting God. The greatest joy in life is that joy of knowing you've got a God that you can count on, a God that you can trust. In Hebrews 3.19, it says, and why couldn't they go in? Because they didn't trust him. Because they didn't trust him. How sad they didn't have a God they could trust after God had come through over and over again. And many times in my life, I see God come through over and over and over again. I get into a problem and I start trying to fix it on my own. I worry about it, which does nothing. And I begin to gripe about it which makes it worse, rather than going to the God that I know I can trust. It always amazes me how some Christ followers will trust God with their eternal salvation, but they can't trust him with a relationship or in their family or in their finances or in their schedule with anything that's important. How sad not to have a God that you can trust. I said earlier in this series that sometimes we suffer from small God syndrome that we think God is small and, and people become big and we become people pleasers. And we go down the wrong path because we're trying to please people rather than please the one who loves us so much. Don't suffer from small God syndrome. Realize how big and great and powerful your God is and how much he cares about you. Praise God, there is an antivenom to the sin of unbelief. And it's found right in and right before the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. I want you to look at John 3, 14. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he's a wealthy, well-respected Pharisee who cares too much about what people think about him. So he comes to Jesus at night, but he's struggling with the sin of unbelief. He wants to believe, but he's struggling with it. And here's what Jesus says to him in John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
Now, we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know John 3, 16. Even if you've never been to church, you know John 3, 16 because it's always at all the ball games on the signs. We all know John 3, 16, but did you know the two verses that come before John 3, 16? Those two verses where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you don't get it right now, but soon I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross. Just like Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross to bring healing to everyone who will look to me. You don't get it right now, Nicodemus, but that's what's going to happen. So the antidote to unbelief is look to Jesus to meet your deepest needs. Look to Jesus to meet your deepest needs. Now, Jesus tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, I'm gonna be lifted up. Now, Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because he was an Old Testament scholar. You know, he, he knew the story of Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness. It's in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21. The people, again, committing the sin of unbelief, came to a place where they were grumbling and griping and complaining against God. They'd forgotten about his miracles in the past, delivering them from Egypt. So they're griping and grumbling and complaining and committing the sin of unbelief. And God brings a curse. He brings poisonous snakes as a curse. I hate snakes. I'm like Indiana Jones. I don't know about you, but I hate snakes. And he brings snakes as a curse, and they bite many of the people, and they're dying. So the people then go to Moses and go, we're so sorry. Please pray to God and ask him to deliver us again. And, and so God tells Moses to build this huge bronze replica of a snake on a pole and then raise it up. And if anyone will look up there at that snake, lift it up on that pole, then they'll be healed. And so the people started doing that, and God healed them. And God, again, did his miracle. But I want you to see how the people of Israel get to this point of unbelief. And by the way, this is all foreshadowing of the cross. There's so many times in the Old Testament that there's Examples of foreshadowing of the cross. But in Numbers 21, four, it says, then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. So the people grew impatient because they were going through the desert of delay. Now you find out in the chapter before this that there was a faster route to the Holy Land. But they couldn't take it because it was through the country of Edom. And the Edomites said, no, if you come through our country, we're gonna fight you. And God knew the Israelites' faith wasn't built strong enough to fight the Edomites yet. They needed their faith to be built a little stronger so God takes them the long way. Why? So their faith can be built. God takes them the long way so they have this chance to make some choices that build their faith. But they keep choosing unbelief. God takes them the long way and it's in this desert of delay that they start to lose their patience. They start to lose their strength and the sin of unbelief begins to creep in. And you see it in the symptoms that start coming out of their lives. And it's in the desert of delay where we start to doubt God. We start to wonder if God knows where we're at. We start to 
lose our patience. We start to lose our strength and the sin of unbelief can start to take hold. Are you in the desert of delay right now where you're waiting on God to come through and you don't understand why he's not? It feels like God is nowhere around. You see, they were waiting on God to come through, but really, God was waiting on them. He had to take them around the long way or they would have been destroyed because they weren't prepared. And could it be that you're waiting on God? That's what you think. But really, God is waiting on you, that your character is built, that your faith is built, so that your character can match your calling, so that you can step into your destiny. God takes us through these deserts of delay to build our faith and our character to match our calling. And maybe right now God says, hey, I'm waiting on you. You know, I mean, you're taking another lap around Mount Sinai right now so you can learn that lesson that you still haven't learned, so I'm gonna keep bringing you back around. It was an eight-day walk from Egypt to the Promised Land. It took them 40 years. Why? Because they didn't learn the lessons that God needed them to learn so they could take the Promised Land and they could step into their destiny. And God has brought me around and around Mount Sinai at times where I go, wait a minute, I've been here before. I've gone through this before. I've made this same mess before. And God says, yes, you have, and I'm gonna keep bringing you back to it until you choose the right thing that builds your faith rather than choosing unbelief. God will just bring you right back to it. And if you don't deal with it, you'll find yourself making those same dumb decisions, following those same paths that lead you to the same place every single time. But God in his love wants you to learn the things you need to learn so you can step into your destiny and your character can match your calling. Well, the first symptom though set in, in verse five, it says, and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complain. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink and we hate this horrible manna. So they start complaining against God, against Moses, and then they become ungrateful. You see, God sent this perfect bread from heaven, this sweet bread that was the perfect nutrition, and it was called manna. It would arrive every morning on the desert floor. All they had to do was just pick it up, and they were so amazed when God brought this. They said, it's the best thing we've ever tasted. Unbelievable. You know, it's directly from God, and God, you're a master chef, but then they found something to complain about. God, if you're a master chef, why do you keep making the same perfect stuff every day? Can't you branch out a little bit? I mean, come on, God. It's the same thing every day. We're so tired of manna. It's manna, 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 manna. We're tired of it. And God says, you're not grateful for this perfect food that I'm giving you. And many times we become ungrateful and we don't thank God for the things that we have and we're always looking for something else rather than looking up to God to meet our deepest needs we're looking to something else that can meet those needs and just leaves us even more empty really the sin of unbelief is trying to be God because the people of Israel were saying God you're doing a bad job if I was God I mean I would be dropping a stake every day. You know, if I was God, I, I would have some linguine fall out of the sky. If I was God, that's what they're saying. They're saying, you're not doing a good job 
You don't know what you're doing. We know what's best. The sin of unbelief is such a serious and devastating sin because it's basically saying, I wanna be God. And God sends a curse for the consequence of their sin. In verse six, it says, so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Sin always looks good on the surface. It promises fulfillment and happiness and pleasure, but there's always poison in it. The poison of addiction, the poison of guilt and shame, the poison of loss, loss of meaning, loss of purpose, loss of joy, and the poison of death. Adam and Eve were in the perfect garden, and God said you can eat from any of the trees here, enjoy this garden, it's all for your good, but don't eat the fruit of this one tree, because if you eat of the fruit of this one tree, you will surely die. Then Satan comes along in the form of a snake, and he says, did God tell you if you eat the fruit of that one tree that you're gonna die? Yes. Ah, that's what I thought. I mean, I, I thought God would probably tell you that, and that's just a lie. Because if you eat the fruit of that one tree, you'll become like God, and God knows that, and God doesn't want you to become like him. He's just trying to keep you down. He doesn't really care about you. That's just a lie. And the poison of unbelief starts to seep in. They begin to doubt that God knows what's best for them. They begin to doubt that God wants the best for them. And they take the bite of the fruit, and when they do, they don't die physically. That would happen years later because of the consequence of their sin. But instantly they die spiritually, total separation from the God who created them and loves them. Total separation. Their choice brought total separation as sin always brings separation. Sin is devastating because you were made for connection, connection with God, the God who loves you so much connection with others, but sin, it always causes disconnection. It always creates disconnection and separation. It was instant death spiritually because God always speaks the truth and he does it because he loves us. It's like when one of my grandkids and I are at the mall or in a parking lot and I'm holding their hand and then they wanna take off and run, which they seem to always want to. I just hold their hand even tighter. And they might whine about it and go, that hurts. But I'm doing it because I love them, because I want them to be safe. I wanna make sure that they're okay. I don't want them to go down that wrong path and into harm's way. And God will hold your hand tighter. But if you keep pulling away and pulling away and pulling away, Eventually, he's gonna let you do what you wanna do because he loves you so much that he can't make you love him back. So they began to gripe and grumble and complain and the curse came. And in Numbers 21, verse seven, it says, then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. They weren't even, they were, they were too scared to go to God. They were, had too much shame to go to God, and that's what shame does. One of the consequences of our sin is shame, and we become filled with shame. We don't wanna go to church. We don't wanna go to God. We don't wanna spend time with God. It just feels like, you know, I mean, how can I go to God in this situation? But God says, bring it all to me. 
but they would go to, they went to Moses and then Moses prayed and God basically was saying, it's coming soon when everyone can go directly to me. They don't have to go through a person. They can look directly to me because of the cross. And so he says this to Moses. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now, there are many miracles in the Old Testament, as I said, that are foreshadowing of the cross and of Christ on the cross. There was a time when the people came up to a pond that was bitter, and they were so thirsty, and then God told Moses to put a tree into the water, and the water became sweet. And it symbolizes that that cross takes all of our bitterness and gives us sweet forgiveness. Another time in the Old Testament, someone was chopping down wood, and an ax head flew off and it landed into the lake, and it sank to the very bottom, and God told the prophet to take a stick, throw it in the water, and the ax head floated. And it was a symbol that the cross will take care of all those who are lost, who seek to be restored, who seek to be found. But Jesus chose this one to really emphasize. There's so many illustrations of foreshadowing of the cross in the Old Testament, but Jesus picks this one to talk to Nicodemus and really emphasize it. He says, I'm gonna be lifted up like a snake, lifted up like a snake in the wilderness. He compared himself to a snake. What? Why was that? Because the snakes were the curse for the people's sins. The snakes were the consequences of the people's sins. And Jesus was saying, I'm gonna be the curse. I'm gonna become the curse of the consequences of your sin. That's why Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was saying, I'm going to become the curse and take all the poison of your sins in my body so I can take away the consequences of all your sins. I'm going to become the curse to take away the consequence of your sin, the shame, the guilt, the loss, the separation, the disconnection, the death. I was reading recently about how they make antivenom for poisonous snake bites, and it's really interesting. Of course, they take the venom from the snake, and then they inject it just a little bit into a host, and it's usually a horse. And then the horse gets sick, but recovers, and then they inject just a little bit more venom and a little bit more venom, and a little bit more venom until the host builds up antibodies. Then they take the blood from the horse and turn it into antivenom so that when someone's bitten by a poisonous snake, they can take the antivenom and give it to the person through an IV, and it destroys the poison in their body. But there's a problem. Because the host is a horse, about 20% of people who need antivenom and get that antivenom, they have a severe allergic reaction. Of course, there's medicines there in the hospital to take care of it, but there's been some recent breakthroughs thanks to rock singer Steve Ludwin, who has been, over the past 30 years, injecting himself with poisonous snake venom. The, the guy's crazy, certifiably insane. He's been doing it for over 30 years now, just a little at a time, all different, black mambas, cobras, rattlesnakes, Sometimes he combines them in a cocktail and then injects it into himself. The guy's crazy. 
But now scientists are using his blood to develop antibodies that could save thousands of lives without the allergic reactions. I mean, now this guy is a hero. I mean, they're already using his blood. He gives his blood all the time, and they use it all over the world, but now they're studying it and trying to replicate it. And because Jesus is crazy in love with you, that's what he did for us. He allowed himself to be injected with the venom of all of our sins. He took in his body the poison of all of our shame, all of our disconnection, all of our guilt. That's why his sinless blood is so amazing. That's why he shed his blood for us. He became the curse, all the poison from the sin, from everyone who has ever lived. Your sin, my sin, was injected into him on the cross And now he's the antivenom. His blood has the antibodies to the curse of our sin and it heals us. That's why the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. His blood cleanses us and heals us from the poison of our sins. And it's free. I mean, most of the deadliest snake bites in the world occur in areas afflicted by extreme poverty. And one of the unjust tragedies in our world today is that antivenom, is really expensive, and many who need it most can't afford it. And some organizations are trying to change that to make antivenom available to all, but praise God, the most valuable antivenom is free. The ground is level, folks, at the foot of the cross. Christ's forgiveness and healing is available to everyone, whether you're a pastor or a prostitute, whether you're a beggar or a billionaire. We're all in desperate need of life-saving forgiveness and healing from our sins. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The cross is there, and all we have to do is look to Jesus, to stop looking at everything else and look to Jesus to meet our deepest needs. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross sounds foolish at first glance. I mean, the word foolishness here in the Greek, it literally means madness, insanity. And it's true, on the surface, the message of the cross looks like madness. I mean, it's insane. In a world that worships winners and loves to mock losers, the message of the cross seems insane. It's the message of a God who loved us so much that he left everything and he lowered himself to the place of the lowest criminal and a criminal's execution. He lost his life so all the losers could win. So that all of us who've lost our way, all of us who've lost our innocence, all of us who've lost our purpose, all of us who've lost our hope could find life and eternal life. You see, the cross is God crying out to a world that worships winners, and he's saying, here's to all the losers, to all who want to lose their guilt and shame, to all who want to lose their purposelessness, to all who want to lose their hopelessness. Here's to all the losers, all who know they're missing something, all who know that they've lost so much along the way, all those who know they need healing, all those who know they need the antivenom for their sins. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. 
Do you need healing today? I believe because of Christ's perfect blood, it washes over us and cleanses us. You can have spiritual healing today. I also believe that God heals physically. We leave it to him, we give it to him. It's in his time, it's in his plan. But yet we've seen God do so many miracles of healing. God heals emotionally today. God heals the deepest wounds in our hearts. God heals relationally. And God is the healer. And he's here right now to bring healing, to bring strength. But it's only for the losers, those who want to lose all the hopelessness and all the guilt and all the shame. Those who want to look to the cross, all we have to do is look to him to meet our deepest needs. Stop looking to everything else and just look to him to meet our deepest needs. There was a father in the New Testament that brought his son to Jesus, and the father was heartbroken because the son was possessed by a demon, and it was always trying to harm him. He would be thrown into the fire, and he would be trying to hurt himself, and it was always this self-harm, and, and the father just didn't know what to do, and he came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, if you can, would you heal my boy? And Jesus said, what do you mean if? Anything is possible for those who believe. And the man said something that I can truly relate to. In Mark 9, 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you ever feel like that? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus honored that prayer and healed his son. I think that was an authentic prayer. That was an amazing prayer. It was like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You see, believing doesn't mean you've got this perfect faith. It just means that you take the little bit of ordinary faith you have, the little bit of imperfect faith you have, and you place it all on Jesus. And you just look to him rather than everything else to meet your deepest needs. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's not the amount of your faith that matters, it's the object that you've placed your faith in. Did you know we all have faith? And the most hardened atheist has faith, usually it's faith in themselves, because God made you with the ability to have faith. You were made a person of faith. The question is, what have you placed your faith in? You're gonna place your faith in something or someone because that's how you're made. But have you placed that little bit of imperfect, ordinary faith all on Jesus? Are you all in, placing it all on him? Not perfect faith. It's, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. My faith is so imperfect, and it's not much. Maybe the size of a mustard seed, but I'm going to place it all on you because I'm tired of looking to everything else and everyone else to meet my deepest needs and it just leaves me empty. I'm tired of going down the wrong path. I wanna follow the path that you have for me. I believe, help my unbelief. Let's bow together right now. Because I know the Lord is here, and he's here to heal. And I know there's some relationships that need healing desperately, and only he can do that. I know there's some emotions that need healing. There's some deep wounds that can only be healed by Jesus some who need to be healed physically, some who need to be healed spiritually, the greatest healing of all is spiritual healing. 
when you get a new heart and Christ changes your life. Lord, we come to you today and we need your healing. We know that we're all losers as we've lost so much. Every one of us, Lord, lost our way at times. We've lost our direction. We've lost our purpose. We've lost our meaning because we've all looked to other things rather than you. So today, Lord, I just pray for every Christ follower within the sound of my voice that you would just help us take the little bit of imperfect, ordinary faith we have and just place it all on you to bring healing and strength in the areas that we need it. Lord, heal relationships that is only you can. Lord, work miracles, Lord, in marriages and families. Heal hurts and wounds. And I know there's some, Lord, whose hearts are just breaking. Let them know that you're right there with them, that you feel their hurt and you're there to bring healing. Bring healing as only you can. And I pray for those who need spiritual healing. They've never received you, Lord. They've never been, they've never taken the antivenom, Lord Jesus, and experienced your blood washing them and making them clean. Pray that they would pray this prayer right now in the silence of their heart. Jesus Christ, I thank you that you are the antivenom of all of the poison of my sins and guilt and shame. I ask you to forgive me in your precious Sinless blood, forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept your free forgiveness in heaven one day and I ask you to come into my life and give me a new heart, a new life, and fill me with your purpose. Help me to look to you from now on as the Lord of my life to meet my deepest needs. Help me grow in my faith in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life and he'll never leave you, he'll always be in your life through his Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, he goes. You may change some of the places you go, but he goes with you wherever you go. He'll never leave you. We wanna know about it. We want you to tell a pastor or, or one of our counselors or one of our prayer teams. And by the way, our prayer teams are gonna be out at the fountain at the Woodlands campus, out there at the fountain. And if you need prayer for healing, they wanna pray for you. We believe God brings miracles today. And now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God. It's another chance to exercise our faith. It's another chance to say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God says, when you give to me, I'll give back to you more. And that's God's promise. He said, with good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you, but even more. And so, do we take that choice and believe? You have a God you can trust in the most important areas of your life. So let's give to him out of worship. That's why it's part of the worship because we worship through our music, we worship through our Bible teaching, but we also worship through our giving because it comes out of the heart. We give is an act of worship. So how do we give? Take out your smartphone, Woodlands Church, and everyone just take out your smartphone and then just text the word give WC to 77977. Give WC has to be one word to 77977. Goes to the Push Pay app and you can get recurrent giving, you can give one time, but Make it a habit of giving. And if you're at home, you can go on your computer, wc.org slash give. You can go on our app. The Woodland Church app is amazing. And by the way, on that app, you get the bulletins, you get the sermon notes from today's sermon and all the sermons and, and all the things that are going on in the church you, you find out about. You ought to download that app. Or you can give on your way out to the offering boxes or you can mail in your gift, but give. Give because you love God and because 
It builds your faith. Every time you give and then God comes through for you, it builds your faith. You can trust God. He loves you. You can trust him in the most important areas of your life. So let's give. Woodland Church is an act of love. Let's give to him because we love him. And then pray God will multiply it through all the ministries and missions of Woodland Church. We're doing so many things in our area and around the world to raise up the poor and powerless. And I want us to stand because we're gonna sing to the Lord. And I love how we sing a song of declaration to the Lord as we go out because it really gets us ready for the week because church is not just one day a week. Really, you have worship with the Lord every day in your work, in your neighborhood, and whatever you do. And so I want you to be ready this week for God to work a miracle in your life. And what I want you to do this week is take steps of faith, just a step of faith at a time. I challenge you this week, whenever God calls you to do something, just take that step of faith. He won't call you to take a leap of faith. Just a step of faith. I found that it's just one step at a time. And every time you have the choice, you can choose to step back in fear or you can choose to step forward in faith. And God opens the doors when you take one little step of faith. Usually it's a baby step of faith. I don't know what it is for you this week, but God will call you to take a step of faith. And when you do, that's when he opens the doors. When you take that little step of faith. And if you keep doing that day in and day out, you'll look back and think, how in the world did I come so far? I mean, you'll end up where you never dreamed that you could be, stepping on that path that God has for you walking in your destiny. So let's do that this week because if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. He loves you. You belong to him. You belong to the God of the universe. You are his child and he watches out for his kids. He cares about his kids. He knows your needs, every single one of them, and he has the power to meet them. Let's just sing it. Let's just relax and rest in him this week that you belong to him, that you are his, and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Let's sing it to him. Let's take steps of faith. Let's believe the truth. Praise the Lord, Woodland Church. Let's give him just a, a clap of praise. Let's just give him a shout of praise. We love you, Jesus. Let's sing to the Lord. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodland Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.